Culture Eats Strategy for Lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And I'm Lee Harper, a machine learning practitioner with over 10 years doing machine learning AI. And with us today is Dorman Bazell. Dorman is currently the North America's data strategy practice leader at Capgemini, serving across the U.S. and Canada in a variety of sectors. He has been a big thinker and a leader in data for quite some time, having worked across three different consulting organizations and is the chief data officer for the state of North Dakota. In his current role running at practice at Gemini, Dorman has the advantage of seeing across many clients in many industries and the ability to provide his big picture thinking in helping them transform towards more robust data cultures. Dorman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, Lee, for the invitation. So Dorman, as I mentioned in your intro, you have this beautiful vantage point in, in many clients in the many industries. What are those things that you've been noticing? What perspective would you provide to the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, so, so I like the idea of the vantage point, right? Kind of being on that hill and overlooking, right? Um, starting as a developer, and evolving into a position of being able to think, think more critically about data and how people were using data and what they were using it for to get to that point where I, I have that vantage point to be able to say I've collected all of this information and, and now I understand, right? What I've seen over the course of 37 years of doing this is a couple of key themes. Um, that, that I find with pretty much anybody I talk to at any organization and even at the state. So low data quality leads them to believe I don't know where my data comes from. Ergo, I can't, I can't trust it. Right. And if I can't, if I can't trust it, I can't use it. I can't make educated decisions based off of it. Yeah, and no, that's, yeah. A, that's, that's an interesting thing that you bring up and you aren't the first guest to talk about trust. And not understanding the origin story of data. Yeah. Because it, it, it's ostensibly our information that we've collected should be the story of us. And yet when we go back and build, you know, write that autobiography, we find it false. Right. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to always match our experience. And so, you know, the, uh, um, so yes, you were going down. It's like, you know, you, you have this view coming up as a developer and then as a leader. And, and the first thing you started off with trust, why was that? I once heard that superstitions are like magnets. They draw us in the direction of our beliefs. And we trust, trust is one of those. It's, it's almost a superstition, right? Because getting to a point where you can trust your data, right, is and especially data, right? It, it, it's, it's a very, it, it's a very daunting, daunting task because again, there are some precursors to trusting your data, right? You have to know where your data comes from, right? You have to know that the data that you've used to make decisions or that other people have used to make decisions, that it's trustworthy data, that it gives you the outcomes you anticipate, or it leads you down a, a logical path toward away from superstition and towards truth or, or towards, towards back. Yeah, go ahead. So 
I once did a project about five years ago for a, you know, one of the world's biggest automotive manufacturers. One of the things they had is you know, they had this rich data from the shop floor, right? They're mechanics who are fixing cars, doing all kinds of services. What we found that when we dug into it was that those people wanted to do their job. They wanted to fix cars. They loved fixing cars. They didn't want to enter the data into the system. So they would often just pick the first option on the drop-down menu, not because it was the right one, but because they could get back to fixing cars faster. How have you seen companies get buy-in and trust really all the way down, not just at the leadership level, but all the way down to the shop floor, those people that maybe aren't using the data, but often are the generators of the data? And I'll think about this for a second, because it's, it's a pretty varied answer. So, so let, let's talk about trust a little bit, right? Trust is not a data problem. Trust is a culture problem, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got to be, and if you don't trust your people, chances are you won't trust, even trust your data, right? Because it's the people who are generating data for you, right? It, certainly it's the machines, the shop floor of the machines, or it's, it's, it's customers, you know, by purchasing products or whatever, but, but the people who work for you, if you don't inherently trust them, then the, then the data is probably going to be off limits anyhow. Right. And you're, mm -hmm. and you're going to fall back into superstition. So, so first of all, trust is a culture problem. Once you get beyond, once you kind of get beyond the culture problem and you say, okay, I'm willing to trust my people that they know what they're doing. Then you're willing to trust the guy on the shop floor who can look at the data and say, boy, that doesn't look right. Right. If I do that, the stress tolerances to build this part are going to be too high or my, my machine is not, you know, my machine is not running as it should be. Right. And I can, and, and then you, you have that individual find, use data to find out, well, where is the core problem, right? What problem are you, what, where's the challenge that they see? Because they're the ones who ultimately know the data and they're the ones who ultimately have to provide you with that information, right? And, and you have to trust that they know what they're doing. It doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean is what I find with my, a lot of companies is that, and everyone I talk to, right, they run their company on Excel, right? What it doesn't mean is that you get to go in and manipulate data because you, as the person working with that Excel spreadsheet, have a superstition about, data that you infuse into your spreadsheet and you create a bias and you create, maybe it's not a falsehood, right? But it's certainly not a truth that you want to hang your hat on. Why? It goes back to, you don't have good governed data and you don't have the processes and procedures and people in place in order to create that good governance around that data. So then, you know, back to the, the first question is like, what have you seen from the vantage point? First thing you hit, you, you hit on is trust. It's the common themes. Is there, I mean, that, that's huge, right? So is there anything else that you would want to mention that goes along with that? Or have you just spent enough time with clients on that theme alone and then getting them, you know, to move forward? I, I would say the other thing too, is that a lot of time clients, they don't even know what data they have. Mm. Um, you know, they, the clients that I, I work with are data rich. 
I mean, they really don't lack for data. If you, if you account for all of the other pro challenges around data, around data quality and data governance and so on and so forth, what you end up with is you end up with, uh, I don't, I don't know what data I have. For example, mm -hmm. um, if I think about, um, let's just think about data redundancy, for example, and I, and I think about, uh, the state of North Dakota, mm -hmm. right? How many times does the record doorman exist at the state of North Dakota? There's what, 57 agencies. And other than DOCR, I think I might exist in uh, all, f all 56 <laughs> of those agencies. Yeah. But, but how many records are out there? Right. So there's a trust factor and, and there's a, but there's a data, there's a data volume factor that I don't even know exists. Right. If I'm trying to, aggregate all of this information into one area where I can actually come to a point and make a decision about Dorman, right? Or for Dorman or have Dorman help me make a decision about what services might he need from the state, right? So, so not even knowing data is what data is available to you. Is, I see it is a big problem. And then when you, when you step into kind of using a finance observation, right? It's like underperforming asset. I have all these assets yeah. that I'm not, it's, I might even not realize how cash rich I am. And then it's not being deployed to be of use to the organization. So now you, you've, you've got two major themes here that you help clients. How do you walk them through not just seeing those observations, but believing that those observations apply to them? It's, it, it's a great question because, it, right, the, the good consulting answer is it depends. Yes. Right? Uh, it depends on the receptivity of the clients. A lot of times, a lot of times, I don't even have to walk clients through this, right? Mm -hmm. I typically just, just say, tell them there's four things I see at every client, right? You don't trust your data. You don't know where your data came from. You don't have any data governance and you run your company on Excel. And they invariably nod their heads and go, yep, that sounds like <laughs> us. Where I think to maybe go a little bit deeper on that to the heart of your question is mm -hmm. walking clients through, and it depends on who the client is too, right? mm -hmm. whether it's a CFO versus a CIO, but inherently they both understand the problem of technical debt. And when I talk about technical debt, right, I, I don't talk about bits and bytes. I talk about Questions like, if if I'm your employee, how many times how many times does my data exist within your organization? Or if I'm a customer, right? How many times does it exist in your organization? How much effort, people effort, process effort, data effort, software effort goes into harmonizing all of your customer master records into a truthful, trustful record that says this is dorm. And you can trust that this is dormant. What does it cost you to do that? So when I think about technical debt, the way I propose it to them is, what is it, do you know what it actually costs you to create, manage, and use data beyond just, I have X number of servers. I'm in, I, I run in AWS. I've migrated all my systems to AWS, or I have four mainframes, or my subscription or license fees, right? 
I talked to them about, about that level of technical debt and asked them the question, what would you do with money? Where would you invest your money if you didn't have to have an absorb in managing technical debt? The other way I ask clients to think about this is that the, the horizontal versus the vertical nature of data. And when I talk about the vertical nature of data, I mean the siloed data that exists throughout every organization that where, where accounting owns a piece of dormant and finance owns a piece of dormant and so on and so forth, right? Everybody has a record of, of dormant. And here's what that looks like. And no wonder we get to the end of a month and everybody says, well, my sales number is X and somebody says my number is Y and so on. <laughs> Right. And so when you think about data horse vertically, right, that's, that's where you end up. You end up having to crunch data together. You end up with high technical debt, high cost of creation, management, and use of data. When you think about data horizontally, and that is dormant exists one time, products exist one time, you know, play that out, right, and, and, and. All of a sudden, your, your cost of creation, management, and use goes way down. And your ability to, to trust your data, right, coming full circle, your ability to trust, govern, and know the lineage of data, right, goes way up. And so now all of a sudden, now you know that you can make decisions about data or you make, make decisions based on data. Um, and that you, they're, they're going to be accurate decisions. And I think that in this, will, I'll draw a quick analogy as a past theater kid here, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, but it's, it relates to why do we frequently lose trust in that narrative, right? If, we, if data is our autobiography, and when people look at that autobiography, they typically revolt in, you know, in, in cultures where data hasn't been managed as properly, but it's like, like you were saying, data exists horizontally. Well, the horizontal is that like timeline, that story arc of something, a customer, a part, you know, something moving through the process. And that story arc goes from, you know, the, from the origin point to, you know, some terminal point, um, or, you know, constantly loops. Yeah. But I wouldn't, if I were, if I were setting this, this, uh, the stage for a play, I wouldn't change actors. <laughs> you know, for the for the main protagonist, right? I would keep the same story. I would keep the same people. Keep the, keep similar scenes. Maybe change the scenes as they go from one, you know, the piece of the narrative to the next. But when you like, as you were saying, when you view it vertically, it's almost like you're you're trying to tell the same story, but you're changing the actors every scene. Yes, and, and well, that's so difficult for the audience to follow. Oh, it it is, and and. The other conversation to have with clients around this whole topic, right? And talking about changing actors, right? What you, what, what a lot of organizations do when they automate things, right? They, they start shedding themselves of their actors, right? Of their, of their people. And the, they're the people who inherently have known the data and have been managing and massaging the data to make it trustworthy and actionable and, you know, all the other fancy consulting words are used, right? Yep. That they're the ones that you, you, you know, you start shutting yourself up, but, but that the, so I asked clients a couple of questions like what happens when the person 
who is crunching all of that data for you into Excel, what happens if they don't have to do that anymore? Right? So, so now let's keep the same actor, but let's change the scene. What if you could reskill that person? They, they know the company and they know the company through the lens of data. Right. And so if they know the data, right, use them, give them the skills and the tools that they need and, and, and help yourself, right. By being able to push decision-making down to that lowest common denominator where it belongs, right. But also give yourself a, a hand up as an executive where allow those people to, to aggregate that information for you in new ways and create new decision opportunities for you. Right. This is one of the things that I hear. We've all heard this, right? Is that data is the new oil, Mm -hmm. right? But I don't think of data as the new oil. I think of it as kind of the new consciousness, right? I mean, it's pervasive in, Mm -hmm. in everything that we do. It's, it's what we live, eat and breathe anymore, more, um, more so, right? You can hear that on, you hear it on, on the TV, on the news, right? Fact checking, right? It's all about data. It's become intrinsic to who we are and how we operate. So new oil, certainly. New consciousness, I think, better. I I like that. Yeah. Sorry, Lee, you were going to go? Well, I have had a a kind of, I guess, a complimentary view as well when you're bringing it into normalization and you're automating things, making things more robust and better. You can choose either to cut the pie up finer by firing some people because they're, you know, no longer relevant to your organization or you can seek to grow the pie, right? By automating the things they were doing and having them do more valuable, more important work. And I think in general, organizations see a better return if they grow the pie, rather than if they just try and, you know, cut up the existing pie into different size pieces. Yeah. And and by I mean, we all know how, how challenging it is, especially in today's economy, right? To, to one, find people, and I mean, that's, that's a big enough problem, but a lot of, but we're also seeing a lot of companies right, who are cutting and it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not an easy problem. Even, even the valuable people, right. Um, it, it's not an easy problem to, 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 to manage, to manage how we think about how we use people, right? What is the bare number of people you need to, to maintain profitability and to get work done, right? This comes back to just a basic tenet where, uh, and you guys have heard me say this before, right? That technology is easy. People process culture and data are really hard. <laughs> and, and right, we're, right, we're talking about all of those other things, right? Yes. And, and- just as um, people reject that autobiography, right? It, one of the reasons that they reject it too is is that data and these systems have a way of showing us where all the uh, the dirty laundry is, as a, yeah. a term I used to say. It's like it it reminds us of all the past sins that we have done. Oh, to your point, or to Lee's point, it's like we never fixed how people input data on the shop floor. Uh, we never really got on the salespeople for properly tracking the stages and the contracts, right? And so right. it it in many ways it tells us a truth, not always the truth that we want to know. Right. 
or want to acknowledge, but, but it tells us a truth, right? Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's typically that, that discrepancy between what actually happened and then what we, in many cases, failed to maintain or to, to systematize. Yeah. So, so Dorman, you, you walked, you talked about common themes, right? And then you trust was the first thing you mentioned. Uh, clients typically don't have a good handle on where the source of the information, which, you know, then how and how data rich they could potentially be, which underlines that they lack particular governance processes. And a lot of the businesses still run off of Excel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now you've talked about how you frame that, help them to help clients understand that you frame all of that as, as debt you know, can be both cultural debt and technical debt. So, and, and the good thing it sounds like is clients are, are very accepting of uh, the key problems and that they readily accept the framing that you use around this. So what typically happens next, right? And when, when you get the, when everybody has this, uh, um, understands their challenges, understands yeah. your framing of it, you know, what are some of those common journeys? So if I think about, if I think about the state, right, and, and having these types of conversation, the problem and the challenge that I saw was the ability to think in that context, mm -hmm. right? And, and I believe that part of the reason was it, it certainly wasn't intellect, right? It was their, their knowledge that this is what the citizens need, right? This is what the citizens are asked for. This is what they voted for. This is what they paid for. So, you, you know, thinking beyond, beyond that realm, right? Very challenging. What I find in private industry is, is an acceptance of, yep, that sounds, that sounds right. That's what we need to do. It's the how. Mm. How do we actually do that? And where do we start? Right. And finding that starting point, right, is always the most challenging part, right? Because every time you, you make a starting point, right, you're impacting someone or something. And if you have a verticalized view of data and systems, right, I'm, I'm sales and I have Salesforce, right? Mm -hmm. Then what you end up with is, is, I am going to protect my turf and my space and my data and my platform. And what you don't get is, oh, well, look what we could do if we opened up Salesforce across the organization horizontally, mm -hmm. right? And, and open that door so that, you know, it, not only does the sales team need that accounting data, but guess who else needs it? Well, the accounting folks need it. Right. And the service folks could probably use it. Right. And so you, you go, you start mapping that out. So the how is always the bigger challenge and, and the how. So with, with Capgemini, right. The way that, that we do it is, um, we fit, we help clients understand, you know, so here's my, here's my corporate plug, right. Cause <laughs> you know, I'm in charge of it. And yeah. I think we can get done it. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's not magic, right? We, we ask clients, where are you today? Right. So, and, and by the way, let me, I'll take one step back on that. Maybe I'll reframe this a different way. Since we are in a, 
in a virtual world now, right? And we're doing all of this right over the internet. I ask clients, you know, in a workshop setting, um, I ask them to think about a huge, huge whiteboard. And on the left-hand side of the whiteboard is an an area that, a small area where you want to go, right? What are you trying to do with your technology, your data, your organization, your people, your culture, your skills, so on and so forth, right? Let's, let's organize those. Let's prioritize those. Let's, let's set a vision, right? And it can be as crazy as it we, we want it to be. And then on the left-hand side is a, maybe a little bit bigger area than your future state, but it's a, it's a current state, right? It's, it's what are all the problems that we have today, right? Where are our challenges, right? Is it funding? Is it understanding our data? Is it trusting our data, right? So on and so forth, right? And, and, and. And then I tell them, and that very vast big space right in the middle between your current and your future state, those, that's all the really, really hard work that it's going to take us to get there, right? To transition from that current state to that future state. And what I have found is that that, that message resonates because, because, we, because people tend to say, I have a problem with my my customer master is, you know, is the address is bad, right? My addresses are bad, my customer master, and they immediately shift to, oh, well, I can just update it. Well, I can, right? But in about a month, they're all going to be bad again, right? The big space in the middle is all about, well, how do we set up processes and governance processes right, that help maintain that, that flow? How do we who manages that, right? What structures do we have on pace? Who's going to pay for that? Are we still creating, are we creating one customer master on that future vision? Are we still going to have 10 sitting out there, mm-hmm. right? So so that big space in the middle is, is the how that I try and get clients to think about really, really hard. And that's, that's the really hard space to think about. So if you were going to provide some advice, and, and by the way, I, you know me well, I love that idea. And we, we do a lot of those same yeah. kind of ste- initial steps with clients. And, and the funny thing is you can tell everybody you do it and you're not really worried about anybody copying it because the art is it in your experience, my experience, and be able to deliver that. But it's also fantastic to share that so people can learn um, yeah. to do those steps for themselves. When you walk... When you're preparing clients for that, what is some of those, that advice that you give them so that they get the most out of those sessions? Because we've all been in the ones where, you know, oh, shoot, I forgot to help them expect, you know, or be prepared, like come with the right thinking or get the right mindset, you know, or we did tell them that and they didn't do it. So what are those common things that you tell your clients to be prepared for, you know, this event, right, where we're trying to orient and, and then decide where to go next. So one of the first things is, um, I, I tell, I always tell our clients and, and typically a lot of these projects start out in the it world, mm-hmm. right? That's typically who we're getting our feed from and the need from, right? Because it is feeling it right there. Mm-hmm. They're spending a lot of time with, with ill-defined requirements and 
uh, you know, just pissed off customers, right? And in, in, in accounting or sales or wherever it might be, right? They're just all pissed off because they can't get the data they want when they want it. And, and again, it goes back to, and I don't even trust the data that IT has. <laughs> so, so one of the first things I tell IT is, is if you don't have business aligned before we walk into a workshop, we fail. Mm -hmm. We're already behind because a, I, and this has happened, right? Business says, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. What are we even talking about? And by the way, Dorian, who are you? Who brought <laughs> in here? Right. Um, and so, so if, if the IT and the business can't come together up front to say, this is a really good idea and set the expectations and set the tone for, for a workshop, you're, you're, you're just stop, right? Cause you're, you're going, you're going to lose when those things do happen, right? Th then what I tell customers is if you're bringing people from your organization into a workshop and you are, um, you're filtering that person knows by definition, they have to filter their words. We fail. Yeah. Right. So if you're coming in, at least be truthful about where you are and where your challenges are, because can't fix if you don't know what's broken. Right. Yep. And I've had customers tell me nothing's broken. And you ask them a couple of questions like, do you trust your data? No. Okay. Well, you're broken. Right. <laughs> Just by, by default, broke it. So, so in the setting, again, technology is easy. People process culture and data are really hard. So focus on those things because those are the things that, that walking into a workshop, people have to have in their mind that this is not a technology. I'm not here to sell you the latest and greatest Microsoft or Oracle or AWS or whatever technology, I'm here to talk about the other four things, right? Yeah. And if we can solve those other four things, right, between us here, we'll find the technology that will achieve that. Now, you mentioned something interesting. Um, it was not a question I initially had thought about asking, but as soon as you talked about it, I was going to ask it. The other part, uh, there's a preparation of our of our folks, like our staff that are going to help deliver these as well, particularly mm -hmm. when we're trying to train somebody who hasn't been one of the part of these before. And you actually hint at it in what you just said, but I'm going to just call it out directly, which is that tension. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost as if that, if that tension doesn't exist during the workshop and it needs to be a constructive tension. That's the art is creating that constructive tension. But if that tension isn't there, because as you said, none of us are perfect. There's always going to be a problem. And there's going to be always going to be varied views on how to solve that problem and even how to frame that problem. So tension will exist. And, and I've, I know in the past, I've told people on our teams, it's like, if you don't hit that tension and find ways to create, you know, cr both create, and then once it's out there, manage that tension, these workshops don't work. Like we've done some of them where everybody, as you mentioned, everybody's happy-go-lucky and tries to chart things out. The tension doesn't exist. And then we haven't actually ever hit at what really needs to be solved. So how do you prepare your people for that when, when you have somebody that's new coming into running these workshops? 
Well, for, so first of all, typically the people who run on, on with Capgemini who run our workshops, right? These are you're usually pretty seasoned people, mm -hmm. right? Who who kind of have a good um, EQ, if you will, and and they 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 can kind of sense what's happening, right? But but in, in terms of preparation, um, there's a there's a lot of Again, because our journey typically brings us first through IT, mm -hmm. right? You have to trust the IT team that they're telling you everything that they know about who their client is and what the expectations are of their client. Yeah. So I get to know the IT teams really well. I typically only get to know a business person for maybe two hours. Mm -hmm. So so I have to generate trust up front right when i it, this is this is the old thing right when you when you meet somebody you've got kind of 30 seconds right mm -hmm. so the so we do our we do our best to seed our business teams right with knowledge about who we are prior to an engagement right so i asked the it folks hey can you help get us in front of the vp or senior vp or whoever to cx wait right who's going to be in this workshop can we have a 30-minute conversation they just need to know who's walking in the door and who they're going to be talking a lot of times i uh, don't get a whole lot of questions mm -hmm. coming from but they at least understand who we are what what we're here to to do with them not to them and 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 that the goal is a partnership and and because at the end of this right and, and, and this is another area where you have to create some trust. At the end of this, there, what are they getting largely? They're getting largely a a roadmap, right? They're not getting, they're not, we're not solving their master data problem, right? What we're doing is we're all agreeing as to what roadmap looks like to solve their master data problem or their digital transformation or whatever it might be, right? And that's what you need, we need to do. Set that expectation that we're here to be your partner to help, to help all agree as to what that future looks like and how we're going to get there. So the constructive, the, I, I love the constructive tension idea because, because you're spot on. It, there's always that constructive attention. How do you navigate it? At, Sometimes not well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some, sometimes we have to, it's, it's, we rely on our IT teams, right? Who are with a client to, to help us because a lot of times it's this, this type of arrangement, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not having dinner with a, with a CFO, mm -hmm. right? I'm talking to them over the internet. You have to rely on people to help help navigate a lot of that. And, and a lot of times that just comes down to being partners with your IT team and IT team trusting you and you trusting your IT. Yeah, the, the um, one of the other ways I've uh, had framed it so people understand the importance of like the workshops that and, and the way that they're run, you know, the way that you described and others described it kind of goes back to the old, the old phrase of, you know, I can learn more about you in an hour of play than in a lifetime of conversation. Yeah. And, and it's, it's 
play and and all of that dialogue exists when there's again the story arc the tension you know because if i'm playing there has to be there's going to be tension right because you know, whether it's basketball or soccer or whatever it is there, there's one party wants to win you both can have fun and you can both thoroughly enjoy spending time with each other but you learn once that te- kind of that tension exists right. and then you can create it's a, it's it's as much a trust building exercise as it as it is I need the vision to be able to hit what you talk about, people, process, culture, data, right? And I can't, I can't get to that vision. And so when we, when we all constructively work together to, you know, walk through an exercise that's going to bring, a, bring up the varying points that we don't all agree on, but we're trying to drive towards consensus. So I think it's a, this beautiful story arc that you walked us through on trust and how we find and how we identify and how you can frame to then those first, you know, com, uh, first steps. So before I ask a couple of the forward-looking questions, Dorman, is there anything you want to tell uh, folks about what are you working on today? Like what are some of your, your projects or your interests that you would, uh, that you would don't mind sharing? Yeah. Um, so I've got, I've got a couple of uh, internal projects uh for example around the data strategy i, I and I, I will tell you the secret sauce because, <laughs> yeah but but i i think our data strategies um i think they they are um they're taking too long mm-hmm. and they're not getting to action right they're we're not solving the problem fast enough yeah we're all good clients as what clients tell me is that what the deliverables we do produce Mm-hmm. are rock solid and they can use them. But a lot of times what they don't have, even though we've all mapped out like a roadmap, mm-hmm. right, of where to start, they don't really know where to start, mm-hmm. right? Because what they have to do is circle back to the business and say, okay, is this a, is this the right starting point for them, right? So I'm working on solving some of those internal communicate, those internal tensions up front, right, much faster so that when we do get to the end, we actually have, we actually are delivering value. And sometimes that value might be Kath, Jim and I, right? A seating, seating a tableau developer, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes what, we, what I want to do, to your point a while ago, I want to teach the client how to fish themselves, right? What can you do internally to solve some of your problems? And then those things that do the cool things, right? Have your people work on the really cool things. And push the things that maybe aren't quite as cool. Push them, push them off to us. Let us deal with that. And then at some point, we'll all come back and we'll do some cool things. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, as I call it, re-swizzling the entire data strategy. Um, I want, I, I want to accelerate it. Uh, I want to make it uh, a little more vertically industry contextual. Awesome. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, and now, now for some of the, uh, the, the we have a, a bank of questions that we'll go through to and ask similar questions to our guests because they always evoke different answers. And so it's a lot sure. of fun to see, you know, how you, Dorman, might answer this question versus other people that we've had on the path. So, sure. Dorman, what is one opinion that you have within data that very few people agree with? Well, and, and maybe this goes back to my my prior conversation around technical debt. I, I don't know if that's a 
disagree with it as as one making sure I've got the right framing around technical debt so it's easily digestible, easily understood. And maybe it's the how, mm-hmm. right? How, how are we actually going to do this, right? Where are we going to start? So oh, do, do we certainly, you know, I certainly disagree with colleagues internally about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. we always have spirited discussion. And with clients, I certainly disagree because, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of clients, um, right? I, got, I, I don't live in the client's shoes day to day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, maybe one of the future thinking things about about data that I'm I'm interested in, excited about, and may, maybe you know disagree with people um, disagree with is is around synthetic data. Mm-hmm. Right. What I what I would love to see is more and more synthetic data being created using using AI technologies, mm-hmm. right? So that, so that based on a set of behavioral criteria, data can be created and maybe it's not, maybe it's more directionally correct, or maybe it's, maybe it's a hundred percent accurate. Correct. I mean, when I think about, I think about the, the chat, chat GPT, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that data that comes out of there, right? It's, it's, it's answering the hardware that's, it's, it's passing the Harvard Law School <laughs> test, right? And you know, uh, uh, other 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 major kind of tests like that. And it's it's using data. And by the way, it's using data that's what two years old, mm-hmm. right? So it's not even it's not even up to date data that it's it's using to pass pass those tests. So. And was probably more of a wandering answer. No, yeah, that's a good. There's strong feelings about synthetic data out there. So, no, I think that's that is definitely a topic that we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the coming days, uh, particularly as people realize that volume doesn't solve for everything. Yeah. Yes, so. agreed. Well, Dorman, we really appreciate having you on the show today. This has been very insightful, and I know that uh, listeners are going to find a lot of your points um, well worth um, hearing and taking notes, just like I did. I probably have two and a half pages of different notes and ideas that I wrote down um, as we were going through. So I appreciate your time today. It's been an extreme pleasure, Sid. Always is talking to you two guys. So always is. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.